welcome to another episode of Sailor Snacking, the podcast where we talk about the 1990s Sailor Moon anime and have a yummy snack. So I'm Jen, and as always, I'm joined by Tracy. Hello, listeners. <laughs> uh, Tracy, uh, why don't you tell us a bit about this week's snack? Okay, so to this week is a double snack. So we have a matcha green tea Kit Kat, and then we will wash it down with Pocari Sweat, which if you are going to say it like the Japanese, it's uh, Pocari Sueto. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope that um, it tastes better than it's called. Don't you love anything with sweat in the title? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and today we are joined by a new special guest, who is also one of my co-hosts on the True North Nerds podcast. We have Kevin with us. Hello, it's good to be here. This will be fun. <laughs> so Kevin, can you tell us a little bit about your past with Sailor Moon, if you have any? <laughs> I have a slight past with Sailor Moon. I am aware of Sailor Moon. Uh, it became very popular what, in the mid-90s originally, and so I had sort of aged out of it by that point uh but it was always something that i sort of knew was around um the english dubs i think they ran on ytv back then or maybe global and yep. uh, yeah so that i know the general concepts and could recognize characters but as for plots and themes uh, that's over my head <laughs> so yeah and then ra so rather than have you on like towards the beginning of the show well i guess it's still kind of the beginning we, we stuck you right in like episode 13 and 14. Yeah. <laughs> the first yeah. 12 episodes aren't that important. No, no context at all. I just, I only watched episodes 13 and 14. Ooh, yay. Because that's what my next question was going to be. So that's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm a little confused about a few things and a lot confused about some others. Awesome. <clears throat> that's great. I mean, like, these are two really interesting episodes to kind of get dropped into because yeah. we sort of sort of like see the end of one of the bad guys and then the beginning of the next one. So it's a weird, it's a, an interesting place to get dropped in. Yeah, so that's I, what I felt. Like, yeah. I, I think we're at the end of a storyline here, but it's hard to tell. Sort of. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I picked these two episodes, uh, especially for Kevin, um, mostly because of uh, the, the first Nephrite episode, the second one we watched. Um with Tennis Ball Sailor Moon, because I promised uh, Kevin and uh, Ryan, who is another True North Nerds co-host who will be coming on later, that I would pick weird episodes for them. Mm. And uh, this one wasn't as weird as I remembered. So it it's was still, still fun. pretty weird. Yeah, it is. But yeah. it's still a fun thing to talk about. So we are going to be uh, talking about, as I said, episodes 13 and 14 of the Japanese run. So uh, the first one, uh, episode 13, is Girls Unite, The End of Jedite, uh, which aired, we're still in 1995 for the North American airing, uh, 92 in Japan. And the second episode we're going to be talking about after our snack break is uh, episode 14, A New Enemy Appears, Nephrite's Evil Crest. So yeah, we'll start with The End of Jedite. Um, well, before we get into all of Kevin's questions, let's, uh, Tracy, mm -hmm. why don't you give us your overall opinion of this episode? So there's a lot of things in this episode that I thought were really interesting. I think the first one is how everyone makes fun of Usagi for being reasonable. Um, yeah, that was funny. Where <laughs> um, it, it like took a good chunk of that episode just being like the teacher thinks like what's wrong with her for being reasonable, and then um, checks if she has a fever. 
<laughs> yeah, and then okay. her friends think that there's something wrong with her, and then Motoki's like, that's really not like you. So um, we really get to see, like, her character defined as what she's not, and that's reasonable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she, well, I mean, she's <laughs> the most reasonable of characters. And, I mean, you can even go one step further and say that the reason she was being so reasonable was because she was scared. Um Oh, for she sure. Did, she yeah. didn't want, and she also protective because she doesn't want. She knows that she has to go to the airport to fight Jedi, whether she wants to or not. But she also wants to make sure that you know her whole school doesn't show up there as well. Mm-hmm. So nice that she's being so protective of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, Usagi doesn't come off as a very likable character to me. Is she like this? Has she been like this the whole run up to this point? Sort of whiny and boy crazy and flighty and. Yeah, that, no, that's exactly who yeah. she is. Okay. That's yeah. her character, and that continues to be her character for the entire series. Oh. But that's just her... Her. Um, I like, feel like that, that sigh you had there, that, uh, that's like, <laughs> that sums it up. Well, I compare this to She-Ra that we just watched for True North Nerds, which is another show full of strong female characters, and I just, I, I can't get behind this girl. She just... <laughs> She just doesn't want to get it. Like it's not that she doesn't get it. She doesn't want to get it. Like she's in this huge battle, fight for her life. I, yeah, she's got powers, but she just oh, she she just grates on my last nerve. <laughs> she does, but then I think we talk about this a lot, and especially in uh, earlier episodes of this podcast, is that she's fourteen years old. So there is just that. keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah you so, have to. But, and I wonder too. Part of it, if it's the voice actor as well. Like, did oh my she... goodness, the voice actor is so annoying. Did, did <laughs> when this was dubbed into English, was the voice that sort of high pitched oh, and whiny as well? The voice was awful in the in the dub. Yeah. She would okay. be like all the time, right. like it was. Um, but I was gonna say with Usaki's character, and because we plunked you into the middle of this, so you haven't got any of the context of the previous 12 episodes her her personality the way that you described it is really just the surface of of it and in previous episodes and future episodes you really get to see a much more depth of character but it didn't it kind of comes out in this episode but not really it comes right. out a little bit more in the next episode but again these two aren't great examples of Usagi's character <laughs> okay that's well, good to know yeah Yes and no, right? Because, I mean, the episode starts with her, like, dreamily staring at the stars and thinking about her crushes. And when, like, that is Usagi in a nutshell, Luna's, And right? Luna's really mean in these two episodes. <laughs> the cat, Luna. I think, yeah, I <laughs> think Everybody's Luna, really mean to her. Yeah, they are. Yeah, everyone is really mean to her. And especially Luna. I forget which episode, if it's... Um, in 13 or 14, but even Luna says like, well, maybe you became a sailor scout by mistake. And I was like, that's oh, mean. That, that was Ray. Mean. Ray said that to her in the next episode. Oh, it was Ray? Yeah. Oh yeah, it was Ray. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know. But that was like, that was low. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I, I have a question. I thought I had a memory of watching the early episodes in the first run, and that the other sailor scouts weren't introduced this quickly. I thought, how many episodes... Like, was Sailor Mercury and Sailor Mars, were they introduced right away in the first episode as well, or did they come in later? No, they came in much later. So, let's see. Sailor oh, Mercury. Episode 13. So, like, yeah. 
it's not that far back. Sailor Mercury came in in Japanese episode eight, oh. and Ray came in in episode ten. So okay. they're pretty new, but there was a bunch of episodes that were cut from the uh, the U.S. version, the North American version. So oh. in North America, uh, Mercury comes in in episode five, and Mars comes in in episode seven. Okay. So, yeah. Um, okay. So they they're kind of new, but we're we're still in the beginnings of them figuring out how to work as a team. Right. Um. But I gotta I gotta rewind this episode to the very very beginning with Queen Beryl talking about how much she's disappointed with Jedi, and we finally get to see why Queen Beryl is a little bit of a badass. Because <laughs> up until this point, she's basically just sat in that chair and said, "Yeah, yeah, go get energy, whatever." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. this time, she got to actually like threaten him with eternal sleep and you know kind of flex her muscles a bit, which I thought was really awesome because I love Queen Beryl. <laughs> Yeah, she does. What seem I found like... was like really weird. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Um, is that how she has to explain eternal sleep? Does that not make sense? Like sentence of eternal sleep, and then she's like, "In case you didn't know what that is, it's like plunged into the darkest sleep, never to wake again." I think that was more to just hammer the point home. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Okay, I get it. Eternal yeah. sleep." It's like, hey, Jedi, it, it's not like you were going to tuck you in with your teddy bear. This is eternal darkness. Hmm. <laughs> well, I guess you got to imagine that this show was pitched for like seven, eight year old girls and they might need that explained to them. Yeah, that too. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Now, this guy, Jedite, Jedite? Yeah. He, has he been the recurring threat that the girls have come up against every episode up to this point? So this so, really is an end for him. Yes. So he's been the main bad guy up till now. Um, uh, okay. And we don't know it yet, but there are actually four generals. Um, the next episode, we meet two more. Right. Um, so they're the four. In, ja- in Japan, they're the four kings of heaven. So Jedi's the first one. Um, and then the next one is Nephrite, who comes after Jedi. Right. So. <laughs> and uh, he's... I have to guess that he's a little bit incompetent if he's let these young girls get the best of him 12 times at this point. Well, as incompetent as all villains are when they're coming up against the hero of the show, like True. he's not going to win. <laughs> no, of course not. It's not that kind of show. Um, but each of the four generals have a way of gathering. So their whole purpose is that they're trying to gather energy for their... Uh, supreme leader or i can't remember what they actually call them um their great leader mm-hmm. and um his way of gathering energy was to basically get a large group together and suck all the energy out of them and uh, so that's what he's been doing for 12 times but increasingly weird like business plans <laughs> um and then when nephrite comes in we'll talk about it in more in the next episode but he's got a different way of gathering energy right um and then yeah, when each of them have different ways, which is Got interesting because it, it kind of makes them gives them a little bit more personality than just you know the bad guy. Yeah, it's like each of them has a different business plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so this episode is Jedi showing up as a giant illusion over Tokyo and threatening to burn the city to the ground if the three girls don't show up, 
And I just couldn't help but think, like, why didn't he try this approach already? Like, <laughs> he's just been like, oh, you know, I'm just going to, like, open a beauty salon and see if I can get them in that way, mwahaha, instead of just, you know, open threat. So you can tell he's kind of desperate at this point. <laughs> yeah, um, and there's and they're starting to become, like, a bigger threat to him as they get stronger, as they develop more skills. And as they get, add more of the Sailor Senshi to the group, um, mm-hmm. they're becoming a bigger threat to him and... And he's starting to feel like kind of backed into a corner. So he has to like goad them out, right? Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm looking at like they're watching this giant picture of Jedi in the sky. And I mean, they know he's the bad guy, but I was kind of hoping one of them to be like, hey, that's the DJ from the radio show that I talked to face to face. Or, hey, that's the guy from the the gym that we talked to face to face. Like, nobody <laughs> seemed to recognize him. Or even Ray, that's the guy right. my grandpa hired and worked at my shrine for several months. Like, come on. <laughs> they, yeah. He's not a master of disguise. Is that what you're saying? Not really. And also <laughs> his name in every previous uh Scheme was like a version of his name. So like in, when he was radio DJ, his name was Jay Dite. <laughs> Jay was his first name. Yeah. Dite. Yeah. Okay. Dite. Yeah. Yeah. Jay Dite. Yeah. So it's like he just changes the word Jedi a, a little bit and that's his alter ego. So it's like, mm. oh, come on, Jedi. More creativity. That's kind of like what I like about Nephrite is that um, he is able to come up with better pseudonyms <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i nephrite i think is my favorite out of the four <laughs> me too for sure yeah he's super fun um so then jedi finally does lure them to this airport uh, puts all of the guards to sleep why didn't he steal their energy because <laughs> anyway uh and then his big plan is to attack them him them with airplanes Mm-hmm. I think I feel like he was panicking. <laughs> he couldn't come up with like a, a thing. So like he didn't summon any monsters to fight them. He didn't. I think he didn't have any of that cachet anymore. Right. Oh, Especially yeah. Maybe Barrel took it away. Yeah. He's kind of just left to his own devices at this point after he let um, Queen Barrel's favorite monster die in the last episode. So he's really just like up against the ropes at this point. Yeah. Well, maybe that's true. Barrel's just like, I'm not helping you. You're on your own. Just do it. Or uh, one way or another, he's going to die at the end of this. Because even when he figures out their identity and he comes back and he's like, I know their identity. And Karen Barrel's like, I don't care. You're dead. <laughs> so uh, there, uh, his power comes from Barrel? Yes. Okay. All of their powers do. Um, okay. Because, yeah, she's the queen. Right. <laughs> Are they I alien? guess that's what that... No. Okay. Yes, I think kind of. They are. They're not. They're not of Earth. No, they are. Those the four generals are. Beryl is not. Okay. And it depends on. I can't remember if it's from the manga or if it's from a fan fiction I read. Beryl might actually be from the moon. Um. I think she actually is. So she's kind of an alien. Um. But I guess, I don't know, should we do spoilers? I guess spoilers for a show from 1995. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> if you haven't seen the end, just pause for, just fast forward a couple minutes because I'm going to give you a little bit of a, what I think is a spoiler. So the Moon Kingdom, uh, where Sailor Moon and, and the, the scouts are from originally a thousand years ago, they've been reincarnated. But anyway, this, the way the story goes is that uh, Beryl or, or uh, Serenity, Princess Serenity and Prince Endymion, who is from Earth, fell in love, right? The four generals uh, are actually Prince Endymion's generals. So they're from Earth. Uh, and then when Beryl, who is from the moon, falls in love with Endymion, and when she, he doesn't reciprocate, she goes evil and um, gets power from the, the great leader, which is actually Queen Metallia. And then Metallia transforms her into this like spike-eared alien-looking girl because from all her anger, then she takes over the generals' minds to her side, and then they attack the moon and destroy it. <laughs> okay. So that's the background of the moon kingdom, which you get much, much later in this show, like episode 20 something. Much <laughs> 30 later. something. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. That's why I said mild spoilers if you haven't seen this. But I mean, hopefully you've seen this if you're listening to this because we're not really going over it in too much detail. <laughs> hmm. So, yeah. That's where I think Beryl's from, but I can't remember if that the first part of her being from the moon is canon. I think that it's from the manga, but I'm not entirely sure. All we need to know is that she's evil and powerful. Yeah. Yes. And in love with Endymion, which you, it becomes important later on. What I want to know is why did they show up to this airport without having... Transformed? transformed right yes like i was watching this with karina mean? and she's like why haven't they transformed yet and i'm like mm. why does no one recognize them when they're transformed they look exactly the same is it just some sort of magic shielding or something is is that like good enough headcanon as to yeah. why their classmates don't recognize them that's what we assume like a magical glamour yeah i mean like we talked about it in the episode where um usagi saves her own brother, like yeah. Sailor and her brother saves. doesn't recognize. <laughs> so it, it's got to be magic. Like how many people are going around with meatballs on their heads? Mm-hmm. Right. So the there's English... not a lot of blonde people in Tokyo either. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the English version, I remember the, um, the nickname for her was Meatball Head, but in the Japanese, the translation comes across as Bun Head. Mm. Yeah, because they like meat buns. Like pork buns, oh, I guess. Yeah. That makes sense. Oh, dango. That's what they're actually called, uh, mm. which I assume is a sort of meat bun. I don't know. I'm not Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll get some for another episode. Mm, meat buns. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I was going to say something else, and I don't remember what it was. Okay, oh. let me ask a question. Yeah, then now. keep going. Um, <laughs> The there seems to be a bit of a a love triangle. It may only be in Usagi's head, but uh, between her tuxedo mask and some other boy, a boy who's not a superhero, Motoki. Motoki. Yeah. Uh, does that get resolved? Like well, I shouldn't ask. Like is that is that a driving uh, a driving sort of through line for the show for a while? Has it been up till this point? Yeah, a little bit. It's mostly all in her head. She's got a crush on both of them. Right. Well, it seems to me like she can get reciprocal. (laughs) It seems to me like she can get a crush on anybody at the drop of a hat. If somebody she thinks might be is cute glances at her, she goes gaga for them. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. We see that in the last episode, um, episode 12, where she, like, goes onto a cruise ship, and the first person she runs into, she's like, oh, my God, he's in love with me. Mm. And it's Jedi. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, I got it. So that's yeah. that's a thing with her. Yeah, that's definitely a thing with her. Um, so the I don't think they actually ever said his name, but when uh, Usagi kicks off her shoe accidentally and it bonks the guy in the head, mm-hmm. that's Mamoru. Um, he actually ends up being her love interest. <laughs> Mamoru does. Yeah. He was yeah. the sort of nerdy kid with the glasses? No, no. This was um, after she talks to... Is this in the right episode? No, yeah. I think it's the... Is it the next one? I think it's the next one. Oh, it might be the next one. Sorry, I watched both of them, like, right after each other, and yeah, they overlap. No, 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 uh, sorry. Yeah, we're in the right episode. Yeah, it's in episode 13. My bad. I have notes. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, so she's walking, she talks to Motoki, and she's walking down the street feeling a little bit better about herself because Motoki was, like, kind of gave her a a, a, a pep talk and helped right. help cheer her up. And her she accidentally kicks off her shoe, and it mm-hmm. goes flying and bonks a guy in the head. Mm-hmm. Right, I remember that. Yeah, so the guy that gets bonked in the head, that's Darian, or sorry, Darian is the North American version, it's Mamoru, and he's the one who ends up being her love interest. The guy who berates her in the street and makes her cry. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, that makes, okay, I've got it straight now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I find it interesting too the personality differences between the three sailor scouts. Is mm-hmm. that what we call them, sailor scouts? That uh, really, Sailor Mercury seems to be the one who knows what's going on and makes the plans. Like, why is she not the leader? She, I don't think, wants to be the leader. Ah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, she's the brainy one. She's the kind-hearted girl genius. Okay. <laughs> and did did she and Usagi go to school together? Like, weren't they wearing matching school uniforms bef- even before they transform? Whereas yeah, they, Sailor Mars is wearing some kind of kimono or robe of some kind? Yeah. Yeah, they go to school together. Mars goes to a different school, but she was, she also, uh, her family owns a shrine, so she's a shrine maiden. So she works there as a priestess. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense to me. <laughs> And that's why she wears flats instead of high boot, high booted heels, because she was, works in a shrine. Does that make sense? Well, she She's has the only, heels. She, oh, has, she, have, she has high heels, yeah. But but she when she transforms, her, yes, she doesn't yeah. have the thigh high boots that the other two have, though. She just no. has the pumps. Yes. How do? I, why am I noticing this? I should not be noticing this. <laughs> it's because it's very prominent in her transformation sequence. She's got very very long. They have very long legs when they transform. Like, I think yes. maybe that's Super why they don't get recognized. Like, they they're, they like grow taller. <laughs> maybe. Maybe they do. They might get taller. Make them look older. I think it's just magic glamour. Like, <laughs> I think so too. So there's also a live action Sailor Moon uh, called Pretty Guardian Ooh. Sailor Moon. Which is like the best worst show ever. And we need to watch it. But anyway. <laughs> in that one. Uh, so all of the actresses who play the Sailor Senshi are Japanese actresses. So they are all, all have black hair. And um, the actress who plays Usagi still has her hair in buns, but she's got black hair. Um, and then when they transform, they get into the anime colors. So then she has a blonde wig on and, and a whole other. So it's, it's a lot easier in that instance to see how you wouldn't be able to recognize her because she looks right. significantly different. Right. But yeah, in the anime, because 
like how many girls with short blue hair are there wandering around? Really? True. <laughs> True. Not not many. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, what else did we want to talk about this episode? Um, I guess this is the first episode where Tuxedo Mask, quote unquote, dies. It happens a couple times. Oh. Throughout the duration of the show. <laughs> this is also like he does more than just throw a rose in this episode. Yeah, yeah. he actually fights. Yeah. So, Kevin, what did you what did you think of Tuxedo Mask, the only male? hero <laughs> he's like i i don't know what i mean he i he's the he's the character of mystery right he's sort of like like the like the who was that mask man kind of thing he just sort of shows up when needed and leaves before he can be thanked right that's the kind of character yeah. he is yeah. so it's it's hard to get a uh, sort of a grip on a character like that i think he it feels in the brief scenes that we see him, like he uses Sailor Moon's infatuation with him to his to his benefit. Like he uh, he knows she'll do pretty much what he says because because of how gaga she is for him. So I I don't know. I don't have enough details about him to form a coherent opinion. Yeah, actually, in these two episodes, he does a lot more than he has in any of the previous episodes so far. Really? Yeah. He does not do much. He um, just throws a rose and then he usually says some like fortune cookie type saying like, you girls <laughs> have to stick together. Friendship is important. That kind yeah. of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's an interesting, an interesting, I won't say character, but let's just say presence in the show. Um, and, and I think that part of it is just that he's there as part of this romantic triangle that, that Usagi has built up in her head too, right? Because mm-hmm. yeah. there was the whole scene about what if, was it Motoki? What if Motoki is Tuxedo Mask and Tuxedo Mask is Motoki and then we could we could live happily ever after together and fight crime together and we'd be so happy. I don't know if that turns out to be the case. Do we ever see Motoki and Tuxedo Mask together? Uh, not in these two episodes. So. <laughs> <laughs> For all I know, he could be Tuxedo Mask. Uh, he's not. <laughs> For all you know, though, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think the whole point of Tuxedo Mask is that, like, in the typical, in a typical superhero type of a show where the male characters are the ones who are the focus and it's usually there's a female character who's like the supporting character who's just like there to cheer you on and you know provide a little bit of support in Sailor Moon it's switched so you have the female characters are the main superheroes and Tuxedo Mask is the lone male character who is there for support Hmm. that's Uh, the the theory anyway and that like I, I think we can speak to that more in the second episode I watched. I think mm-hmm. that's mo- much more his role in episode 14 than it was in this one. Yeah. Um, and that's an excellent segue. So do we have anything else we'd like to say about this episode? I have one quick thing. Sure. I found it interesting that her classmates were more excited to go to the airport to find out what was going on than she was. Like, she seems afraid of everything, even though she's got these magical powers. So, uh, 
Whereas the normal kids are like, oh, let's go see the big hoax with the floaty head in the sky, you know? So uh, I, I thought that was kind of fun that uh, that we really do have a reluctant hero that <laughs> she does not want to get involved with anything. Yeah. And I mean, even when they're <clears throat> they're fighting the airplanes, she's like, why do I have to be bait? You guys are so mean leaving me alone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, it, is an, it is an interesting twist to have a hero character that doesn't really want to be a hero. Yes. Um, and one of the things I really like about Usagi, because she's not my favorite character either. I don't dislike her, but she's not my favorite. Um, but one of the most interesting things about watching Sailor Moon, especially over the course of all five seasons, is just seeing her growth. Because she has phenomenal character growth from episode one to episode 200. And I think 200. that's... Yeah. That's oh what goodness. the whole thing is. Yeah, so we'll I don't know if we're gonna. While. I don't know if uh, we're gonna make it all the way to two hundred, but we'll see. This is why we do two episodes a podcast. Yeah. Otherwise, we'll be doing Makes this forever. <laughs> uh, Tracy, anything else you want to talk about the end of Jedi? Well, I just wanted to really highlight that girl power speech they have at the end where Jedi's like accusing them of being like saved by the man and they really like stand up for themselves. And I loved that speech just because I think that's really what Sailor Moon, like the whole show is about. It's about like these young girls um, being empowered enough to save not just themselves, but other people. So I think we we couldn't end the, uh, talking about that episode without highlighting just how important that speech was. Right. Yeah, definitely. All right. So on that note, let's get into our snack. Tracy, do you want to tell us a little bit about our snacks that we're having? All right. So we and have. Which one are um, we going to start with? I think we'll start with the Kit Kat. Right. Woo-hoo. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm, sure. Kit Kat. So uh, it's really interesting. Uh, so Kit Kats first came to Japan in 1973, and but it wasn't until like the early 2000s that they started making all of these flavors. And now to date, um, Kit Kat in Japan has launched almost 400 different flavors. Ooh, so, podcast yeah. goals. <laughs> They did not have 400 different flavors of these when I went to the store to buy them. Maybe maybe we'll get so big that we'll have listeners in Japan and they'll send us snacks. Mm-hmm. That would be That'd awesome. Be great. Do we have green tea today? They're green. They're green. Big surprise. Mm-hmm. That smells interesting. I think it's so... Oh, wait. It smells like... So when you're smelling it from the outside, it smells yeah. just like a regular Kit Kat, but when you break it open, you really get that like green um, tea kind of smell. Yeah. Maybe that's why it's smelling like tea to me because I broke it. And I'm like, wow, this really smells like tea leaves. All right, here we go. It does have the same kind of flavor as green tea ice cream that you get at a Japanese restaurant. Oh, yeah. Hmm. You know these what? Really good. They're not bad. I'm not sharing these with Brent. <laughs> <laughs> no, the wafer is nice. It's got a nice crisp yeah. to it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what flavor the filling is between the wafers on a regular Kit Kat even, so I think it's the same as what these are. And it's, yeah. it's it's a distinctly green tea flavor, but it's not overpoweringly green tea. It's like a nice balance. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a white chocolate with like green tea powder in it, I think. Yeah, exactly. I can't read mm-hmm. anything on this label, though, so I can't really 
give you any more information than that. Other than it was delicious. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious. So um, Kit Kat also has some uh, interesting flavors. So there's strawberry as well. But they also mm. have like um, different things like Okinawan Ooh. sweet potatoes. Mm. Oh. Um, Azuki bean sandwich bars. Uh, and there's also a, a make your own Kit Kat store and Ooh. that opened up in Toronto, which I don't think we can go to right now because of everything being closed because of the pandemic. But you oh. can also like make your own Kit Kat bars there. So that's kind of cool. In Toronto? Mm-hmm. Oh my oh. God, we're totally going to do okay. that. That's amazing. Yes. <laughs> now the we got to go to that place that makes the souffle pancakes and then the Kit Kat place. <laughs> At the store I went to, the only other flavor I saw was strawberry. Um, yes, so. I think, yeah. So strawberry was the first, like, Japanese-flavored Kit Kat that they came up with. And that one was, like, with a um, strawberry-flavored chocolate. And it had, like, freeze-dried, dehydrated strawberries in it. Mm-hmm. Super mm. delicious. But the first, another one. These are really good. Mm-hmm, the first Kit Kat was produced um, in the 1930s in Britain. That was the chocolate kickback cat. So it took like almost 70 years before they started adding flavors to it. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's really only like the Japanese ones that are super flavored like this, like so many different flavors, if, unless I'm mistaken. Lately, yeah, well, I've seen at, at local stores like Dollarama, they'll have like white chocolate Kit Kat or um, dark chocolate Kit Kat, but they never, ver- uh, uh, they never vary far from the chocolate base. So. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. These are very tasty. They even have apple flavor. Shinsu apple. Mm. Interesting. So our whole podcast could just be tasting uh, the different flavors of chips and the different flavors of Kit Kat. Mm-hmm. We could. But if we have 200 episodes to go through. <laughs> Plus movies. If we wanted to mm-hmm. also do the movies. So we also have a drink today, so we'll wash it down with a drink. So we have uh, Pukari Sweat. Uh, it took me a long time before I actually got up the courage to try one of these because <laughs> it's, I, called I, sweat? it's called Sweat. Um, and I've seen them at grocery stores all the time, especially like at Asian grocery stores. But uh, I had to climb to the top of a mountain in Indonesia, and this was pretty much all they had when I got to the top. And I'd run out of water. So I was like, well, guess it's time to bite the bullet. So <laughs> <laughs> that's when I finally tried one. Uh, so Pocari Sweat is a mild tasting, non-carbonated drink. It's kind of like Gatorade, I think, because yes. it's like an ionic beverage. When you read the bottle, it says, it is a healthy beverage that smoothly supplies the lost water and electrolyte during perspiration. With the appropriate density and electrolytes close to that of a human body fluid, it can be easily absorbed into the body. That sounds, like, really tasty. Yeah, the Kit Kats sound a lot more appetizing than the sweat, I gotta say. (laughs) So I'm gonna open the bottle here. All right, we're gonna go for it? Yep. Okay, what is it? Let me smell it. It's vaguely citrusy. Yeah, it smells Mm. good. It smells good. It looks like... Like cloudy water. Right? Yeah, it's, I know. It's, it's not that's the why most you... 
appetizing looking beverage. Oh, definitely not. This might took me like 30 years to try it. <laughs> I wish I could read Japanese so I could read everything that's on this label. It's a very mild lemony flavor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I thought but, this was really interesting. So while I was looking up Picari Sweat, they have um there's a lunar dream capsule project. So in twenty fourteen, Picari Sweat sent a capsule, a dream capsule to the moon, and they wanted to be the first uh, commercial product advertised on the moon. <laughs> yep. So um, it's currently booked under an astrobic technology lander and will launch in 2021. So they'll be the first, I guess, commercial product to be advertised to, I don't know who, but on the moon. Lunarians? <laughs> well, I just thought it was really interesting because we're reviewing Sailor Moon yes. and she's from the moon. Um, and this product will be advertised to her and her people on the Moon Kingdom. I was going to say, maybe the Moon Kingdom is going to open a Pokari sweatshop. Oh, maybe. They, call it. they should not I call it that. <laughs> Don't well, call I it a sweatshop. I first encountered Pokari sweat when I went to Japan in 2008. Um, so I stayed in a little uh, Japanese-style hotel in the student district of Tokyo, and there was a Pokari sweat vending machine right outside the door of the hotel. Um, and of course, my friend that I was traveling with and I laugh and laugh and laugh because who's going to drink something called sweat, but you have to try it. So uh, when you mentioned to me that this was going to be one of the snacks today, I was like, oh yeah, Picari sweat. I know all about that. So, which is probably not the reaction you were hoping for, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm enjoying no. it. I will tell you, I bought two when I went to the store and I drank one on the home on the way home that night because <laughs> I felt like I needed to replenish my electrolytes. It is very tasty, actually. I, I find it a much more mild flavor than Gatorade. It is a lot less, it's still sweet, but it's a lot less sweet than mm-hmm. like Gatorade. So it doesn't like coat your teeth and make you feel like bleh. So ah, it's actually very good. The um, the Wikipedia page here says that the flavor is not lemon, it's grapefruit. Grapefruit, yeah. Oh, tastes like lemon to me. Mm-hmm. Citrusy. Yeah, Mm. citrusy. Mm, But very tasty, actually. I'm going to drink the rest of this. Petra just decided to sit right in front of the computer, so hopefully I don't need to actually look at the screen for anything. Also, if you hear a big crash, it's my cat. She's knocked over something. I wondered (laughs) if it was bottled by Coca-Cola because the logo sort of looks like the Coca-Cola swirl, but in blue instead of red. But apparently it is not. It is not. So um, there is a similar beverage. Uh, made by Coca-Cola Company, and it's called Aquarius. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Coca-Cola will, like, find anything and duplicate it and sell it so that they could just... They, they're, they like, the biggest drink conglomerate everywhere, right? Yes. So, mm-hmm. of course, they would find something that's very similar to it so, like, they could sell their own. <laughs> it's the biggest competitor to Picari Sweat. Mm. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. So if, if you're interested in what the Japanese says, you can download an app called Google Translate. Um, and I haven't downloaded it, so I can't do that. It's working its way now. But uh, you can actually hold up the, um, the your phone and it'll the camera will go over the text and it will translate it. Probably uh, very poorly. But it'll give oh. you the gist of it. Okay. I don't know if you have Google Translate on your phone right now. But if you do, you can read the Kit Kat bar and you can read the Pokari sweat bottle. <laughs> 
Or you could do that later in your free time if you choose. I am on the official Pokari Sweat website right now. And Ooh. it tells you when are good times to drink Pokari Sweat to maintain athletic ability while traveling when doing by... doing the Sailor Moon podcast? <laughs> while traveling by vehicle bef- before waking up and before going to bed. So before you wake up, drink Pokari Sweat. So while you're asleep, don't bother waking up, but drink the Pokari Sweat first. Before nice. or after, yourself to open it. <laughs> before or after bathing in the dry season or when I drank. So, you know, alternate between alcoholic beverages and Pokari sweat. I think it would be really good. I think like if you yeah. are having a night of drinking, this would be a good drink to have in between to kind of like space out your drinks and also keep you hydrated. It yeah. probably is really good to ward off like those hangover headaches the next day. The website says, now this has been run through Google Translate too. When you drink alcohol, a large amount of urine comes out of the body due to the diuretic effect of alcohol. There is also a test that when you drink a thousand milliliters of beer, Who's drinking that much beer at a time? That's a liter of beer. You get 1,100 <laughs> milliliters more urine than you drank. Also, a lot of water is required to decompose alcohol. So, okay, nice. I got Google Translate, and it is not working very well on this. On this. Oh, by the way, some people mistakenly think that drinking Pocari sweat with alcohol will make you drunk quickly, but this is a big misunderstanding. Although there are test data that Pocari sweat absorbs water quickly, there is no report that it accelerates the absorption of alcohol. Just a little disclaimer out there for you, in case you were thinking of mixing your Pocari sweat with tequila. Ugh. Oh, I, I was thinking <laughs> I might do gin. Ooh, yeah, that might not be bad, actually. Gin and Pocari sweat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so my translation app is just really not working on shiny things or on round things, so... Darn it. I tried. I like okay. the, oh, I like that the little Kit Kat packages have a place where you can write a little message yeah. on it to give to people. Like, I have one that's got a thumbs up with a good job. Yeah. Cute. <laughs> you can give it, if you're a manager, you can give it to your staff. If you're a, just a considerate coworker, or, you know, you can write hands off, it's mine. That's what I'm going to write on this one. <laughs> just so Brent doesn't need it. Yeah, pretty much. Yes, definitely. Quite so, Are we ready to get back into it? Sure. Let's do it. All right. So we are moving on to episode 14, which is A New Enemy Appears, Nephrite's Evil Crest. Uh, and this is one of my favorite ones because of tennis ball Sailor Moon. <laughs> I love Sailor Moon in a tennis ball. It's hilarious. Yeah, was she uh, placed into the tennis ball or was she turned into a tennis ball? I couldn't quite tell. I think the tennis ball surrounded her and she was like encased in a tennis ball. Okay. Because I think if she was turned into a tennis ball, like that many like critical hits into the ground would have definitely, definitely hurt her a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. She gets hit in the face once very comically, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the beginning of this episode is the introduction of Nephrite, who is, in my opinion, the sexiest of all the four generals. <laughs> um, and also we get introduced to Zoisite, uh, who in the North American version, uh, they portrayed as female. 
but in the Japanese version, is male. So if I accidentally call Zoisite her or she, that's why, and I will try not to. <laughs> um, but yeah, right off the bat, we see the rivalry between Nephrite and Zoisite, which kind of, you didn't have any any of the other generals at all with Jedi, but you have the two of them of Nephrite and Zoisite kind of at each other for Nephrite's whole arc, which is very interesting. Yeah. Well, it's good that we get to see, like, the different um, generals, because then you get an idea of there's more to come. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, any overall thoughts for this episode, Tracy? Um, I mean, like, there's a lot. My favorite thing is that Nephrite is smart enough to pick another name. Like, I think he goes by Masojin. Yeah. Uh, uh, instead of like something that sounds something very similar to like Nephrite. I mean, like he could have gone with like Nephrite <laughs> or something. So he's, yeah. we see that he is a little bit smarter than Jedi. I think that's what that <laughs> I represents. Think so too. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think that he's a little smarter than Jedi. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also seems to prefer less complicated plots. Like Jedi's plots had a lot of moving pieces. Um, but Nephrite's very straightforward. He's like, I'm going to take this ten- tennis racket, put a monster in it, and when you have a lot of energy, the monster's going to come out and take it. Done. No complicated creating a contest and, you know, getting people in and, like, I don't know. He probably had a lot of, Jedi probably had a lot of expenses for, like, renting out huge theaters or, like, that cruise ship. <laughs> but... So one thing that I thought was really weird about Nephrite is, does no one notice that a, a forest just appears <laughs> at the edge of Juban City? Like, <laughs> this bustling city, and this forest appears, and then this, like, creepy mansion? Yeah, I know. I thought that was hilarious, too. It's like, has that always been there? <laughs> has, has that always been there? Because, like, the trees just come out of nowhere in yeah. this episode. <laughs> <laughs> It was interesting to me that um, Mars and Mercury were sort of sidelined this episode, that this was a focus on Usagi and um, and Sailor Moon, that she ended up going alone to the battle, which I, I like the team. I, I've always been the guy who likes the minor members of the team. So the show's called Sailor Moon. So, of course, she's not going to be my favorite character. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, and also, this was another case where her boy craziness gets her into trouble, right? Like, she she runs head headlong blindly into things because because she thinks everybody's going to be in love with her. And uh, this one, this time, that led her right into the clutches of the villain. Yeah. <laughs> and I get the impression that that sort of thing happens quite often. Like, like this plot may never have been foiled if if Usagi hadn't fallen for the tennis instructor. I think, yeah, I think that's very accurate. She often ends up accidentally where she needs to be. Mm. She doesn't think yeah. things through a lot. <laughs> no. no, no, she does not. Like that's, that's definitely part of her, per- a big part of her personality. <laughs> in the, in the episode, so episode 12, that we talked about um, last week, she ends up on the cruise ship where there's a monster 
by complete like mistake. Like she just wants to be on a romantic cruise and find a boyfriend and she just happens to be at the right place at the right time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of, um, yeah, a lot of, and then, I mean, that's just true throughout the entire show is that a lot of the villain plots are thwarted uh, strictly because they are doing something that appeals to Sailor Moon and the girls, whether right. it's because there's a hot person or if it's an interest of theirs or something. But, you know, if they had picked I feel something. Like if yeah. Jedi had, like, opened a hardware store to, like, yeah, steal exactly. energy from carpenters, he would have been very successful. Mm. Yeah. But then Usagi probably would have met a handsome carpenter who was struggling with his business making, like, heart-shaped boxes or something and then gotten sucked into it. So <laughs> that's, that's just how the show works. <laughs> right. But, yeah. This one, this episode, it kind of harkens back to, like, the first episodes before we got Sailor Mercury, even, where it was just Sailor Moon fighting the monsters. Uh, Only now the monsters are a lot more powerful. So it's like Sailor Moon feels like she needs to prove herself again. And that whole time that Luna was, like, making fun of her, I'm like, but she fought by herself for, like, what did I say, like, five, six episodes? Mm. Like, come on. (laughs) She can do it. Yeah, like Luna seems to get a little more mean to her as we get introduced to more Sailor Scouts. It's like she becomes the least favorite Sailor Scout. I think it's because Luna's like, oh, look, all these other girls are so much more competent. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Poor Luna. Well, like, joke's on you, Luna. The Moon Princess has been here all along. (laughs) And you didn't even know. Now, so I also the, like the relationship between Naru and Usagi again. So we get to see like they're best friends and we get to see them together again. Because the last couple of episodes, Usagi's been hanging out with her new friends, Ami and Rei. Um, but it's good to see that she hasn't forgotten about, you know, her friends, where she's came from. Right? Yeah, exactly. And we also get the one and only mention of Naru's sister from another mister, I guess. Um <laughs> who is apparently a world-famous tennis player, and Naru has never mentioned her before and never mentions her since. (laughs) But they're so close, they're sisters. (laughs) But I love that beginning where Usagi is like, wait a minute, you never told me you had a sister. And Naru is like, oh, don't be so dumb. You know I'm an only child. (laughs) Poor Usagi. She's she's also not very bright. No. She is all heart, this girl. Uh-huh. And yeah, that's another thing that is either infuriating or endearing about Usagi. Infuriating. <laughs> I I, I want to talk about the tennis for a little bit. I feel like tennis is a thing that comes up in Japanese pop culture a lot more often than it does in North American pop culture. Like there are tennis mangas and tennis anime series. And like, I think tennis must be on the level of baseball and sumo in japan for the amount of the amount of other media that revolves around tennis yeah i have no idea why it is so popular in japan because i don't really think that a tennis player would be flocked by hordes of middle schoolers um especially since she's not that much older than them (laughs) you know like 
I didn't get the impression that she was a world-renowned tennis player, just that she was a really great tennis player. I, I don't know. That that sort of rang a little false to me. And then I thought, oh, uh, well, Japan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. But, I yeah. That part I was like, don't those paparazzi have anybody else to harass? They're <laughs> harassing a, like, 15-year-old <laughs> tennis player? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But again, as it's I like say. a really good tennis player, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, that's why I just think that a lot of these things you have to go, oh, well, it's Japan. It's a J- Japanese cultural thing. Um, so. Yeah. I'm not sure how, like, Japan, Japan really does on the tennis scene. But, I mean, when Canada had Bianca Andrescu, like, come up as a rising star, tennis became a little more popular, I think, in Canada, right? So maybe they have, like, more tennis stars in Japan? Maybe? Maybe. I, yeah. I mean, I, I know there's a lot of, like, sports animes, and there's definitely a lot of, like, tennis. Yeah. Tennis anime. Like, There's a whole manga series, uh, Prince of Tennis, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Prince of Tennis. But then, so I was really surprised that there's a lot more, actually, so there's like aim for the ace and uh, baby steps are also tennis themed anime. Like the whole anime is about tennis. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Hmm. It just it just feels like tennis is a much bigger thing in Japan than it is here. I'm wondering if it has to do with like a lot of things are very solitary for people to like for students and so mm. tennis is like an easy thing to kind of pick up like tennis or badminton because you don't have to have a whole team you can mm. just kind of like practice on your own and the biggest you have to get is like a doubles team right yeah you need to really find three other people which is not that difficult mm-hmm. um so when when Nefrite first shows up in his uh civilian uh persona who i'm always going to call him by the north american version of his name because it's hilarious so the the dub version of his name is Mac, Maxfield Stanton. I'm like Maxfield, like Maxfield, not, not Maxwell, Maxfield, Maxfield. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so I love that name. Anyway, when he shows up as Maxfield Stanton, <laughs> um, he's got his hands in his pockets and he like legit jumps over like an eight foot tall fence. Like, doesn't anyone blinks. realize? Like, <laughs> who does that? Usagi doesn't blink. Well, I guess Usagi's just too boy crazy to notice. But, like, you think that somebody there would be like, did that guy just jump over a fence? Yes. I, I wrote in my notes, isn't it weird that a guy just dumps o- jump o- jumps over a fence in a single bound? Three question marks. <laughs> and then takes over the game and nobody is like... Maybe we should, like, call security or something. This guy is just, like, the world famous, uh, or the Japan famous, I guess, tennis star that the paparazzi were just hounding is suddenly approached by a guy who, like, literally vaulted over the fence. And nobody cares. (laughs) And then disappears. Yeah. And where was her original coach? Like, this guy just comes in and takes over her training. If she's that good, she must have a coach somewhere. <laughs> yeah, coach is just gone. It's like you know what? He's too handsome. I can't compete. <laughs> oh, I did like I liked the look um, when when it, he ended up with the magic energy racket. 
I thought that looked pretty cool, actually, as as tennis themed weapons go. Yes. So the monster did? Or yes. Did, yes. So we, we sometimes in this podcast talk a little bit about the monsters. There wasn't really one in the last episode because oh, no. it was just about Jedite. But um, I've, we've mentioned previously that the monsters were not very thematic. They were just like vague, angry looking creatures. Mm-hmm. And it seems like we're finally getting into the more later on in Sailor Moon. It becomes quite known for its theme, themed monsters, which are basically like a sexy lady as a blank like fill in the the blank. Right. So this this one is Tasuni, uh, which is apparently a reordering of the Japanese syllables for the word tennis. And we're finally getting into a more themed looking monster, but still very scary looking. Very scary looking, but also like the the form of it is weird. Yeah. Almost looked like like a crayon sketching. <laughs> <laughs> It, it it was a little odd uh, looking thing. Yeah, so it's like the the monster seemed to be evolving from the menacing monster to more of a, like it's still monsterish, but it's getting more towards the sexy lady that it becomes later on. <laughs> I um, sorry, I just got distracted here a little bit. Um, it's all right. The Oh, I've lost my train of thought altogether. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, so uh, this website also says that this monster is the first one who is uh, coming out of a possessed object. So the other ones, all of Jedi's monsters took human form to steal energy. And now, as I mentioned a little earlier, <clears throat> we're getting into the monsters who possess objects to steal energy, which is going to be Nephrite's thing for the next few episodes. Uh... Mm-hmm. Which I really like. I really like the way that Nephrite takes charge. Um, and we'll see more in the next coming episodes. Because it's, it's really interesting. And it becomes more personal, I think, for Usagi in a lot of the cases. Because she becomes involved with a lot of the people who do become possessed by Nephrite's monsters. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I'm just kind of just doing a quick over because i don't remember when it switches over but yeah like so like pretty much everybody again usagi and the other sailor scouts being in the right place at the right time <clears throat> let, lets them solve all of nephrite's uh or stop all of nephrite's plots but yeah basically he starts to just target people um throughout his entire run and yeah the end uh, Sorry, I'm just like looking at Nephrite stuff, and the ending of his mm-hmm. arc is wonderful. I love the ending of his arc. <laughs> uh, apparently, he drives a Ferrari. Um, <laughs> yes, which is kind of what makes him attractive, I think, to the girls when he like pulls up in this Ferrari and like jumps over the fence to like fix like Ryu's game. Like she's already like a world-class tennis player and he's just like just put your weight into it all like sexy like and then suddenly she's like incredibly better yeah oh my god i just needed a sexy man to tell me to put my weight into it awesome <laughs> now everything is wonderful <laughs> that's, that's exactly what happened <laughs> it always <laughs> so i to- think the battle in this one is really cute 
because um, Sailor Moon gets to really fight side by side with Tuxedo Mask. So that's like, I think that that's really cute because up until this point, he's kind of just come and like thrown the rose and said his fortune cookie saying, and then he's like off. But he actually does something and he, he see that he actually has a weapon. So he has like a baton. He has an extendo cool. cane. <laughs> yeah. So he uses yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he actually gets to, to fight and he actually gets to do stuff. And then at the end of the battle, he starts to flicker, which is interesting. Yes. And yeah, you, can, you, you can really see in that moment where Usagi, Usagi's character comes out and she is torn between rushing over to help her ally um, and staying and defeating the monster. And you can see in that split second that she's very torn because it's in her character. She's the one who always helps everybody and she's the one who's always trying to make sure that everybody's okay. So the fact that she makes that decision in that second to attack the monster and end it is really, I think, a, a little bit of a stepping stone in her personality and her character growth. Also, I think it's hilarious that like, so Tuxedo Mask throws the rose in the monster's face. And then the, the amount of time it takes for this monster to get rose petals out of their face is, like, comical. Because that's that split second that Usagi gets to, like, talk about, like, decide whether or not she's going to throw her tiara. And then this monster's just, like, rose fumbling in my face. <laughs> it's the Tuxedo Mask sticky rose attack. <laughs> Where does he get all his roses? I assume magic. he's a botanist. <laughs> no, I, like a, I think it's magic. A florist? Like, the florist shops are just, like, selling them like crazy. They're making money. Yeah. Making it rain. Honey <laughs> sticky rose. <laughs> so, in the manga, Tuxedo Mask actually has a power. And it's called Tuxedo La Smoking Bomber. La Smoking Bomber? <laughs> yeah. Tuxedo less smoking bomber. <laughs> nice. So the attack is the, the smoking bomber. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Tuxedo less smoking bomber. He gets to, he gets to use it in Sailor Moon Crystal. Um, okay. I don't think he uses it at all in the original in the original anime. Um, and it's in the manga for sure. So it says he sends a blast of energy at his target that fired from his hands, which is potentially fatal to his opponents. That's in the manga. Yeah. And in Crystal, it's a blast of white energy at his target fired from his hands. Um, so he actually gets to kind of do something in, in different versions of Sailor Moon. But in this one, yeah, no, he doesn't get to do that at all. No, no tuxedo, less smoking bomber. <laughs> I love the name of that attack. That's a really great name for an attack. <laughs> uh, the other part of this episode that I just got to mention real fast because it cracks me up every time. So I love that Sailor Moon is in the tennis ball. It's the best, but it's very. I don't cute. know if you, I don't know if you noticed in the scene where Tuxedo Mask is talking to the monster in the background. You see Sailor Moon on her back with her legs kicking, trying to get up. <laughs> yes, and then she finally like... makes it to her feet and she's staggering around in this giant tennis ball. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> it's kind of yeah, like watching my tortoise try to flip himself over <laughs> and he just to get on his back <laughs> uh, yeah so yeah the Sailor Moon tennis ball is definitely one of my favorite parts of 
this whole entire show. <laughs> um, I liked how any supportive Tuxedo Mask is of Sailor Moon during the fight. That um, he never doubted she could she could help. Uh, even when she was being flighty and silly and acting all scared, um, she he he was still there for her and he was still uh, he he was he was the he wasn't the focus but he was the support. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah, and he's definitely better at being supportive than even her other teammates are. Mm-hmm. I think it's important because uh, to note that. He's been her support through it all. Like, since the beginning, he's been there and seen what she can accomplish. So he's um, that support, and he's also known that she can do it from from the start. Mm -hmm. So it's really good for her. Yeah, he's... And I think that's probably one of the reasons, besides him being good-looking, is that she falls for him. It's, It's because he's actually the one who is there for her all the time. So it's not like all of her other stuff is a, is a silly crush, but I think that um, for Tuxedo Mask, it actually becomes closer to actual love. Which we see later on as well. Mm. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> How shocking. <laughs> uh, yeah, so do we have anything else we would like to say about this episode? I like the other one better. Um, I like I like the team aspect of the of episode thirteen uh, mm-hmm. more than more than this solo outing for her in this one. So, um, yeah, I, I'm glad I watched the other one first. Yeah, I I feel like it was really necessary. I I know that you're just coming in and watching these two episodes, Kevin, but mm-hmm. like the the team really takes a lot of digs at her in the last episode that she feels like she really needs to redeem herself. And I think that Mm -hmm. this was a really good opportunity for her. Yeah. Not only for herself, but she also, you also need to remind the audience that she is more or less capable of doing this. Yeah. Because she is like, she's not the most competent and we know that. Right. And so having the other two, Ami and Ray for the last couple of episodes, we need to be reminded that she really is a hero too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. That is true. The show is named after her. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So, Kevin, after seeing uh, episodes 13 and 14, do you have any interest in going back and watching any of the other ones? And it's okay if you don't. (laughs) We'll still like you. Um, (laughs) These two episodes have not converted me into a massive Sailor Moon fan. Mm -hmm. Um, I am slightly interested in finding out how we got to this point how the, these characters developed but not enough that I'm actually going to sit down and do it <laughs> fair enough if you really want to know I can give you the overview of all of it <laughs> yes and I I'm think sh- we did yeah, yeah a little more bit. or less yeah mm-hmm. yeah for sure so would you be interested in coming back and watching some more episodes in the future and again oh, it's sure. okay if you say no <laughs> No, I like this sort of jumping in, not knowing the whole plot that's going on, and, and trying to figure out from context clues what's happening. Uh, the fact that the show is in Japanese makes that slightly more challenging, but <laughs> I am up for the challenge, so I'd awesome. be happy to come back and do this again. Yes, we would love to have you back. Excellent. 
Uh, so any final thoughts? Are we good? Um, I will just say then that uh, our next two episodes are going to be episodes 15 and 16, Usagi's Panic, Ray's First Date, and A Girl's Dream, Usagi Becomes a Bride. <laughs> oh, those sound like they're going to be fun. <laughs> um, yeah, so you can uh, find us currently. Uh, we're still piggybacking off of True North Nerds, so you can find us at truenorthnerds.com. Or if you'd like to email us, you can email us at truenorthnerds at gmail.com. And we have our own Instagram, though, so you can find us at Sailor Snacking on Instagram. And uh, we're going to at least post pictures of our fun snacks as much as we can. And, uh, yeah, anything else Sailor Moonish that we come across. So I just want to say thanks, Kevin, for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> and thanks, Tracy, as always, for being there. Awesome. This is so much fun. And, uh, oh, do you want to introduce what next week's snack is going to be? Oh, so next week we're going to do, so in this whole pandemic craze, so like earlier on when the pandemic started, people started making this drink on TikTok. It's called Dalgona Coffee. So we're going to, you know, try it out. Why not? It's really mm. popular. <laughs> It, it, it apparently only has three ingredients, so it looks like it's, it's going to be way less complicated than the pancakes that we made. <laughs> yes, for sure. Fine. It'll take way less time, for sure. <laughs> All right, so thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.